Welcome back to Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where we host a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. I'm Ash, I use they, she pronouns, and I'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist who specializes in the Jewish community and weight stigma. I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and fat positivity. And I'm Lore, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. Let's roll the intro. We needed that one especially today. <laughs> Absolutely. And topically, in today's episode, we will be discussing intergenerational trauma. We will be joined by Ben M. Freeman in a moment, a Holocaust educator and author, and we believe he'll be bringing a lot to the conversation. So we're excited to have you all hear that. If there's a topic that we're speaking on that resonates with you, please feel free to call in any time if we leave you. Um, sort of in the waiting room for a minute. It is just because uh, we're finishing up whatever we're saying. So we will bring you on as soon as there's an organic opportunity to do so. And a content warning as always, this topic, as all of the topics we talk about here, may lend themselves to some triggering information. So please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break if you need to, especially important for this episode in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, Please remember that this podcast does not take the place of mental or medical health care from a clinician or provider. Please reach out to professionals if you need support. So how are you doing, Laura? <laughs> today has been a day. Um, today has been a day that um, many of you listening are likely aware, or if you're listening to this after the fact, today's Thursday, April 7th, and uh, there has been um, a deadly terror attack in Tel Aviv um, in an area where Ash and I were not too long ago. Um, there's a personal connection there. You know, my family is there. My family's okay. A lot of people aren't okay. There's a lot on my mind. How are you doing, Ash? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, luckily, I don't have family that I know uh, who live in the area or loved ones in that sense. So I didn't have people that I needed to text and check in with, which is, you know, a blessing, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's been it's been a hard few weeks, right? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's 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 just it feels like in the last few weeks, it's been a lot. So, um, you know, I definitely am excited to hear what Ben has to say and, you know, some perspective and thoughts that he might be able to offer us. Absolutely. And we're going to go ahead and bring on our guest, Ben M. Freeman, early in this conversation, because we ultimately know that this topic, intergenerational trauma, is a huge part of his work. 
Ben M. Friedman, for those of you who don't know, is a Jewish leader, a Jewish thinker, and a Jewish educator. Born in Scotland, Ben is a gay Jewish internationally renowned author, educator, and diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, focusing on Jewish identity, combating Jew hatred, and raising awareness of the Holocaust. He came to prominence during the Corbyn labor Jew hate crisis and quickly became one of his generation's leading voices against anti-Jewish racism. He is the founder of the Modern Jewish Pride Movement and the author of the Jewish Pride Manifesto, Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People, released in February 2021 to great international acclaim. He has since decided to create a Jewish Pride trilogy, and his follow-up, Jewish Pride, Reclaiming Our Story, is due to be released in October 2022. Part three and the finale of Ben's trilogy will be released in 2024. So let's go ahead and bring Ben on. All right. I think Ben is connected. I heard him sigh. Welcome, Ben. <laughs> um, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, I definitely want to give you the opportunity to say hello to everybody. And then, you know, we can just sort of dive straight in. Great. Uh, can you hear me okay? We can. Yes, you're clear. I've never, I've never, mm-hmm. I've never used this app before. Um, hi, everyone. It's new. Thank you. <laughs> ah, thank you, Ash and Laura, for... Uh, having me I think this is a really you know when you shared the post on Instagram that this was happening I thought wow what an appropriate time for us to be talking about this and to give people an opportunity to talk about how or to understand how the events of our experience our past even the events of today in Tel Aviv are impacting us and how we respond to them yes absolutely and we definitely want to get you know your thoughts on you know varied topics in this area. But our first question, actually, we were curious, what drove you to being a Holocaust educator in the first place? I think I've always loved history. So I've Mm. always had a real kind of obsession with history. I used to really be obsessed with Mary Queen of Scots. Oh my my family. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, she's fascinating. And my family, we we used to go around all of the Scottish castles that she used Mm. to visit or, or live at. So it was always, it was always living to me. It was always real. And I always just was really obsessed by it. And I guess in terms of my Jewishness and and the Holocaust, I don't remember a time when I didn't know about it, which I think is is actually itself kind of traumatizing that we grow up Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, I was born in 87. So within living memory, the world conspired through inaction or action to murder every single Jew they came into contact with. I think that is itself traumatizing. And I think that my my home just we just had books on it Mm. and I was always kind of reading them and and trying to understand and then I was in Israel in a gap year um with RSY Netzer which is a reform kind of Zionist youth organization in the UK and I think I think it's nifty in America Mm. um and they took us to Poland it was just before Pesach in 2005 and they took us to Poland and we visited um, Krakow, and we visited Warsaw, and Auschwitz, and Treblinka, and Warsaw mm-hmm. Ghetto, and I just found it really fascinating. And then I returned home to Scotland, and I started working with the Jewish community in, in Glasgow, where I'm from, and mm-hmm. my boss said to me, okay, well, what would you like to do? I said, I want to do trips to Poland, because I mm-hmm. felt that we'd kind of only scratch the surface, which is really all you can do in these trips. I mean, it's, even if they last 10 days, you can, there's a limit to what you can cover. And I guess over the next 15 years, I would, I led trips to Poland. I teach about it in my school. I've lectured about it at university. 
I'm, I'm teaching a class right now. We literally just started exploring the Nazis on Monday. Um, mm. so, so, yeah, I just find it fascinating and I find it it's so horrendous and unbelievable and crazy that I just want to understand how and why it happened. And, and also from an emotional perspective, I, I connect with that. I'm aware that those are my people and that I have a connection to them. So it feels very personal. It doesn't feel like, I, I mean, I guess like Mary, it doesn't feel like I'm learning about something that has no connection to me. I was learning about her as a Scottish person. And obviously it's incredibly different to learning about the Shoah, but I'm learning about that or teaching about that as a Jew. And I think that it's so vitally important people understand it. So I, I kind of made it my life's mission to help people understand and to educate about it. Yeah. And something that immediately comes up for me as I'm listening to you speak um, is, you know, I, prior to the job that I do now, I taught special education and I think about, you know, the relationship between teaching and learning and that to be an educator on a subject, you know, I think people who maybe aren't educators don't necessarily realize that you learn as you go in so many ways that you don't have to be um, the authority on everything to be teaching about it. You have to be open to constant and continuous learning and learning through the lens of your students as well so i you know i that immediately came up for me as you were speaking yeah i mean absolutely my my knowledge has kind of when i started leading those trips i didn't really have any expertise Mm -hmm. i had visited once i'd been reading books for years but that you know didn't necessarily equip me with the knowledge that i needed but I mean, when you're an educator, you, I mean, it really is lifelong learning. So every time I plan a new course, every time I write another book, I'm learning. And it's, and as you said, you do learn from your students. You know, one of my students said something really kind of profound a couple of weeks ago about the modern Jewish pride movement and how we're, we are different to kind of the Jews of the 19th century in many ways. And I was talking about race theory and how, you know, the kind of pseudo-scientific, social Darwinistic idea that Jews were this biologically inferior group othered Jews whether they liked it or not. So it didn't matter how a Jew behaved, it was about them as Jews. And I was saying, you know, and people were being defined as Jews whether they liked it or not, and this was very uncomfortable for Jews who were trying so hard to assimilate, so hard to integrate. And my student said, oh, that's very different to now, right? And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, and they've read some of my book and she's actually been in another class of mine. So has read more of my book because I'm I'm that educator who assigns their own books in class. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's one of those. And she said, well, you know, now Jews are being defined as Jews first and they're proud of it. And it's true. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how I see myself. I'm a Jew first. I think that is what we're seeing all over the world. It doesn't, that's not, a necessity in the Jewish pride movement but I think it's something we're seeing and I thought wow yeah that's so profound and it is different and we're reclaiming this and I hadn't even noticed it it was my student who kind of made that connection so the process is it's definitely two ways and it's definitely as an educator you have to engage in lifelong learning and really just as a human being I think we always have to be trying to understand our experiences deeper and our history deeper yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you both were talking, it, it so mirrors 
what it means to be a therapist as well. You know, we are taught from the very beginning that, or at least I was, I shouldn't say we, because there are, <laughs> there are many different kinds of mental health people out there. Um, but, you know, in the social work field in particular, in sort of some of the more um, progressive spaces in the social work field, we are very much of the mind that our patients, our clients are our greatest teachers. And, you know, that we are not um, experts really on anything except a certain skill set and in the in the skill of listening, most of all. <laughs> and everything else is is really just a learning opportunity. And I'm wondering, you know, you, you spoke about <clears throat> these trips to Poland, which is actually something I, I never had the opportunity to do and would like to do one day. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, as a Jew, uh, running those trips, how did that feel for you sort of mental health wise, you know, as someone who is the product of intergenerational trauma, now teaching that exact topic, I would imagine that although, of course, in some ways, it's probably very fulfilling and helps you to understand who you are, I'd imagine it's also very difficult. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. And it's, I remember there was a specific trip. And I, and I think that you have kind of different responses every time you go you know, based on what else is going on in your life, based on, you know, just where you are in your own headspace. But I always cry. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important. I mean, firstly, as a man, I think it's important to, like, not, it's not important, right? It's, I'm crying because I'm crying. But I think it's, it's the, the positive important byproduct of that. Yeah, and, it's, and also for young people to see a man cry. Absolutely. I think that's really important. So whether I'm in standing in Auschwitz or I'm in my class and I cry I don't I'm not embarrassed I'm I try to like own the experience but yeah it is really hard and and even last summer during the that the last war between Israel and Hamas I was teaching a class on the Holocaust at the same time and I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. didn't really understand why that was more difficult for me like I had a couple of friends when I spoke to them about it they were like oh this is hard for everyone I was like oh it absolutely is hard for everyone but I'm Mm -hmm you know, going into class and I'm talking about this genocide that was perpetrated again in living memory. And then in the gaps between my classes, I'm messaging my family to see how they are in Israel. And my sister at the time was pregnant. And mm. and then I was experiencing everything that everyone else was experiencing online. So yeah, it, it absolutely does take a toll on my mental health. And, and it's I found that that itself hasn't been the problem because I feel I've always kind of been able to like sit in my feelings but I, I what I find difficult is when the world around you doesn't understand so especially when I was leading these trips I was mostly at university and I'd come back and some of my friends just didn't get it they were like oh why are you so bummed out you seem really low it's like yeah because I've just visited these horrendous sites of, of genocide and massacre and I think also it's so enormous that people can't understand it anyway right it's a very difficult thing to comprehend which is why we kind of in the holocaust education we stay away from trying to talk just about six million we want to talk about experiences and families and stories because it's just too hard to comprehend so yeah it absolutely takes Mm. a toll on my mental health because i'm a human being first of all i'm a jew and here i am telling these horrendous stories or being in these spaces yeah absolutely Mm. um you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, we're talking about Holocaust associated intergenerational trauma, right? But of course, as we all know, there's different forms of intergenerational trauma throughout the community. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on assimilation as a trauma 
and what that might look like in terms of how you've seen it or how you conceptualize it, um, because it's certainly something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last year or so. That is an amazing question. I've never been, <laughs> honestly, I've, ne I've never been asked that before. We put so... a lot of thought into our questions. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's such an important thing for us to discuss because I think it is a form. I think it's a reaction to trauma. I don't know if it's this. Yes. I well, I think it, it, it can certainly be. Well, right. What's the line between as a trauma versus a reaction to trauma? Right? Yeah. Well, I guess yes, that's true. I see, and I do, and I think as a collective, it it, it has been traumatic because we've shit. And actually, my second book, as you mentioned in the intro, is about internalized anti-Jewishness and I focus mm. a lot on assimilation as as kind of a manifestation of that and it absolutely is a mm -hmm. response to trauma yeah. and it's this desperate attempt to be accepted and, and you saw it in America post-Shoah you saw it in the Germany right. in the 19th century and these Jews and it's so easy for us to judge them right and we can absolutely critique their course of actions and what they said and did but we have to also I think this is the way I've approached this book and this topic is with empathy these were Jews mm -hmm. trying to escape their own trauma, their own horrendous kind of the horrendous Jew hate they were experiencing. And I do think that th that is what assimilation is. I mean, maybe not when you go down the line, right? But when it initially happens, when, when one person or a family chooses to kind of shed their Jewishness and, and assimilate, because assimilate's also different to integrate. Integrating is right. something most of us have done i'm integrated um mm -hmm. but assimilate but i'm also still a jew right whether i'm scottish right. british living in hong kong whereas assimilation is when you shed your original identity and that we do that to be accepted and in our case there's such baggage because it's not just to be accepted it's to survive right and I think right, that, right. That, and that that is so traumatic it absolutely mm -hmm. is and people don't and i i've said in the second book that we have become a people of denial we don't talk about our experiences yeah. like the fact that we're having this conversation is incredibly rare like and it's and i think we have to walk a fine line because i don't believe that we're victims i believe that we're strong right. powerful resilient people mm -hmm. but we also cannot ignore the the kind of more negative experiences that we've right. had and absolutely it's assimilation assimilation in the way it happened to us you know maybe not right. for different people or although i think I, I guess really I can't speak on different experiences, or I imagine there's similarity, but certainly for the mm -hmm, Jews, because sure. I've been reeling, and this is the thing, this is what you know what we're talking about with intergenerational trauma, we're reeling. Even right. this morning, I woke up about 40 minutes ago, because it's 7am in Hong Kong. <laughs> right, you're in Hong which is, Kong. Which is, which is, yeah, <laughs> right. which, is why my nose, which is why my nose is a little blocked, so I apologise. And... <laughs> The first thing I saw was that there's been a terrorist attack. And the second thing right. I did was text my family. And I kind of, I shed a tear because yeah. we're just reeling all the time and we don't get a chance to like center yeah. ourselves and process. Right. And it's this, mm -hmm. these constant waves of Jew hate and we respond in the best way we know how, which is often to kind of desperately try to assimilate, to be accepted, to shed our Jewishness, because really, I, I believe that being Jewish in the non-Jewish world is a disadvantage, and it's as real a disadvantage as any other. Mm. And the way we cope with it, because many Jews are able to pass, is trying to yeah. just shed our Jewishness, and we see that as a source right. of our shame. Not, and we don't blame the bloody non-Jewish world who's trying to destroy us. We blame ourselves. So the shedding of Jewishness in that way, I think, is such an important part of this conversation, and it's one that people are not really having but absolutely it's traumatic it's, and it then collectively yeah. 
it is traumatic because what have what have we lost because of assimilation exactly right i mean in all of that just in listening to you now and thinking about my own family's story i'm thinking about my grandmother in particular who is a uh, living survivor of the shoah and i'm thinking about a piece of her story um includes baptism as a means of survival um my grandmother was it cut out oh it cut out um includes a baptism as a means of survival um so my grandmother a part of she was a hidden child in the shoah and um for a period of time she and her mother were hidden in a convent in france and to do that she had to be baptized and my mother still considers herself Jewish and she recognizes that she has a Christian name and she recognizes that she was baptized and she struggles with, you know, reconciling what does that mean for me? Even now, you know, all of these years later, she, she hasn't truly made her peace with it. And my grandmother is somebody who um, who doesn't speak much about her story anymore. Um, we're so blessed to have her testimony recorded, um, but she doesn't speak much anymore on her story. And that is something she and I have discussed. This forced assimilation for survival and then how it's impacted her all of these years a life and a family and a family that is in and of itself an act of resistance, right? That she even has a family. And, you know, she has told me that she marvels at my Jewish pride because she didn't know whether it would die with her, whether it would die with her baptism and whether um, you know, the fact that when she and her parents established in the United States, they held tradition, but she became secular. And I am not. And, you know, I very much see it as my purpose and my responsibility to my grandmother's story and to educate, you know, as many people as I can about the realities of what it means to be Jewish and to be here and the fact that that in and of itself is almost paradoxical in, in history, Mm -hmm. you know, had, had our oppressors had it their way, it would be a paradox. And, you know, in a way that almost defies reason, we are still here. So, you know, I, I'm just, that's what came up for me in listening to you thinking about, you speaking about assimilation as a trauma and, you know, as it pertains to the lasting ramifications of the Shoah as well, you know, it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you mentioned their forced assimilation and it basically is always forced. And I, like I mentioned in right. the, the book, I talk about a Jew who converts to Christianity in the middle ages and I say, listen, we have to kind of understand that there's push and pull factors, right? For sure, a Jew could have been like, oh, I really just agree with Christian doctrine. But even mm-hmm. in times, I'm doing air quotations, when it's less right. bad, 
it's still bloody terrible you know and, and right. so it's always forced the jews are never and this is the thing about the 19th century and this kind of post-emancipatory period and the assimilation that took place was that it was incredibly coercive we were basically forced to remake ourselves as something as a version of christianity in many ways and as something which was acceptable to the wider world and absolutely, the fact that we're still here is just, it, it's 100% an act of resistance. This conversation is an act of resistance. All of the mm. tweets that were sent today, the Instagram messages, our Instagram posts, the WhatsApp messages, when we are actively Jewish, we are resisting. And I and I always say this, and, I, and I'm not meaning for people to be like, people need to follow whatever kind of level of observance they want to. But we mm. must be actively Jewish. And, and again, you work out whatever way that is for you, but it is an act of resistance. And it's also freeing. It's also healing. Like I have a section, because I believe that trauma, intergenerational trauma in the Jewish community is, is a huge reason behind internalised anti-Jewishness. Absolutely. And I think that, and I've interviewed five people, five Jews who experienced internalized anti-Jewishness but have kind of gone on a journey to heal because my work I always want to be solutions oriented I don't want to just be mm. like everyone hates us and look how we feel about <laughs> ourselves good luck because it's not I mean I just don't think it's healthy for people and it's all of them these five interviewees all of them experienced trauma in different ways right some of it was right. intergenerational because the Shoah some of it was intergenerational culturally but they all experienced trauma and it all impacted their Jewishness. Because, you know, when I was reading and researching um, this trauma, because I'm not a therapist, so this is the kind of, with my work, I cover broad kind of areas. And my partner... You got a collab, Ben. Like, <laughs> you're a therapist for this. <laughs> no, uh, yes, but yes, yes. But, you know, I was reading, so I was writing my, my section on, on trauma and my a friend recommended the body keep score and then my partner when i said mm. like oh i think i'm gonna buy this my partner was like oh my god this is the greatest book you have to read it <laughs> and that really helped me understand what what trauma does to us and, and it, it mm -hmm. still it steals it it steals our jewishness from us and it remakes it because to be jewish is to be beautiful and it's wonderful and we're part of this unbroken chain that stretches back thousands of years and we're part of this incredible civilization and we should all celebrate that. But trauma steals that from us. It reframes it and it makes it into something horrible and twisted and scary. painful and scary. So our job in healing is to kind of reclaim that, which is exactly what you're saying with Jewish pride and us owning our Jewish, our Jewish experiences and our Jewish identity. And I said on Twitter a moment ago, you know, we're a family. So we all have to stand from the rooftops and scream Am Yisrael Chai now because mm. of what we've all done, what we have just experienced as a collective in Tel Aviv, mm -hmm. and it is it's absolutely that's what we have to do to heal. But it's 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 so much more complex than that. It's not as easy as just like okay, everyone reclaim your Jewishness. Right, right. <laughs> it runs so deep. Ah, no, I mean trauma work is a bitch for lack of a better uh, phrase. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot yeah. of time and it takes facing ourselves, and that is a really hard thing to do, you know, just it, it, as a human. And, you know, with an added layer on top of that, that stands as a barrier to, you know, reclaiming one's Jewishness and reclaiming one's pride is so many people are waiting for you to do it, to condemn you when you do. 
um, people yes. outside of the Jewish community. And there's an added pressure to that. I would say it's harder than ever, um, you know, oh, yeah. to reclaim um, one's Jewish pride. I don't, I, I, you know, you said something earlier, Ben, about empathy and approaching this work and these conversations with empathy as it pertains to, you know, people who were forced to assimilate. And in some ways, you know, I'm holding that empathy now for the people who in real time may be trying to make their way back to to Judaism as a culture, as a faith, you know, to their Jewishness. Yeah. And Absolutely. Everyone in their life, everyone surrounding them, people screaming on social media, news reinforcing, you know, from at every turn, people, Jews are reminded, you know, you're a persecuted people and the rest of the world is okay with that. And yeah, it's, yes. you know, it's so it's just a very, um, you know, I, I hold space for that because I, um, I think when I was first reclaiming my own Jewishness, when I was first, you know, exploring even the concept of intergenerational trauma and what that meant for me, um, I was having conversations with a Jewish friend and, you know, I remember she said to me, it's, you're making it sound easier than it is. And I was really floored by that because I was having conversations in a, in a, from a place where, you know, this was all very exciting to me, very new and exciting. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. Like I'm reclaiming my identity. And my friend looked at me. I remember the way she looked at me even just more than what she actually said. It could only be described as like wistful. Like she was just looking at me wanting that and having not the faintest idea of how to get there. And I felt a type of heartbreak in that moment because I think she, that look in her eyes is representative of what so many Jews may very well be feeling as they, you know, people may read your book then and want that for themselves and still mm. just, yeah. you know, have reinforced Absolutely. in return that they shouldn't seek it. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I think that, there's also this added layer of complication because I read this um, quote about trauma mm -hmm. and I think somebody said, I think it was someone who worked in the tribunals, the truth and reconciliation committees in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. said like trauma is like a remembrance of the past. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but not for us because we experience it every day. You know, I'm yeah. 35. I, not in Israel, I, I was in Scotland with my family, but we lived through the period of the Intifada. And I remember coming mm -hmm. home and my parents being glued to the television and it was, it, there was a, a, a cloud over the community, over the whole Jewish world during this, this period. And then mm -hmm. one of my youth leaders, my madrichs, Yoni Jesner was the first British person to be killed by a suicide bomb. So that mm. was the Intifada. And then in 2014, we had the horrible rise in Jew hatred because of the 2014 war. And then we had it mm. again in May. And then now we're all living through what really feels like the beginnings or actually the very much we're into it now of a third Intifada. And it's how can we heal when it happens over and over again? Like that, it's not remembrances of the past for us. It's, it's yeah. past events, which 
and the kind of our responses are reinforced all the time. So you're absolutely right. I think it is inc- it is incredibly difficult, but I think that the Jewish Pride movement has been, you know, I, I, the messages I've received from people is that it's freed people. And actually, you know, mm. I find it quite freeing. Like I start the first book by saying the non-Jewish world hates Jews. And I quote my late father. And I say, listen, this is not about individual non-Jewish people. This is about systemic, institutionalized, deeply Mm -hmm. embedded hate. Mm -hmm. And actually, I find that very freeing because I'm like, yeah, it's true. They do hate us or it does hate us. And nothing we do really impacts that. So we can now concentrate on ourselves. We don't need to be good Jews anymore. So I do find it quite freeing. And I think the Jewish pride gives Jews permission to embark on a healing journey but of course it's we were undoing years because we're socialized forever as as long as we're alive right. we're, we're undoing years of this of conditioning and trauma and pain and having to like ring out and and understand our identities but i find it really fascinating because you're right that it's difficult, but it seems to, there seems to be something, and I can't actually explain this. There seems to be something in Jewish people that binds us to our Jewishness, and I really don't mm-hmm. actually know why that is, <laughs> because it seems to be people who are who are born not or who are not necessarily um, raised Jewish, right? It's it's mm-hmm. there seems to be something in people. Obviously, Jews by choice are led to it, and it's actually a kind of maybe maybe it's a similar thing even for some Jews who were born Jewish, if they've never been brought up in this way, they've never experienced it, they're led to it. And, you know, one of the quotes I include in my second book is that internalised anti-Jewishness is the denial of the essential Jew within. And I do think there is something, there's something about us, which, again, whether you're born Jewish, whether you join our community later, that you're you're drawn to it. And it is mm. kind of fascinating. Why? Why do we see people... Why are all these people coming to their Jewishness? Because the reality is, it's easier not to. It's easier to kind of proceed down this path of, of prejudice, right? Because mm. even though we're, we suffer, doing the work to investigate your feelings and your responses is painful and it's hard. So you suffer either way, but there's an added layer when you're trying to heal. But there's something that brings us to this. It brings us to Jewish pride. It brings us to Jewish identity. Because I think that we know, I actually don't know. I actually don't know why it is. It just seems to be, but it's kind of, it's a great to me and unexplained mystery about what draws Jews to their Jewishness, regardless of their upbringing. No, I agree. (laughs) I've experienced that. And I think that's what happens in our is. It's that it lives in us. It it lives in our literal DNA, you know, and it, it, it's it inescapable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. It's it's bizarre. And I think that, <laughs> like, as I said, <laughs> bizarre is, is a good it's word wonderful. for it's a good it's, it's, word. It's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's a bit weird. It is. You know, it's, it's like, like what? And I think, and I think there's just so many differences between our experiences and others. And when I was writing mm-hmm. about, and you mentioned this earlier, Laura, about I think you're you're when I mean, you were speaking about your grandmother, mm-hmm. that like, you know, I I've written about a lot about the American Jewish experience in the second book, and I, and one of my Italian American friends read it, and she said she was like, listen, I think you need to explain why this experience is not the same as Italian American, Irish American, yes. Asian American, yes. and I was like. I was like, yeah, but it's obviously different. And she was like, yeah, but it, there are also similarities. You know, like her father, mm-hmm. her her 
her her family were Italian, like so it's quite like as in like grandparents were Italian, so it's quite close. And her father always tells her he became white during her lifetime or his lifetime, excuse me. So it's and there is similarity there. And I said, well, I guess the difference is is that when her family left Italy, they left their homeland, right? They mm-hmm. left Italy and they went to America. When we left Eastern Europe or Germany in the 19th century, we weren't leaving our homeland. We were leaving a place that we had already existed in exile for about 1900 years. Mm-hmm. And then we were the most persecuted people in the history of mankind. So we, it, it's just, our, it was so much longer. Like, you know, even for the mm-hmm. Irish, when, and I'm an Irish citizen because my mother was born in Northern Ireland, which actually mm-hmm. obviously gives me no authority to talk about this, but because um, <laughs> I'm clearly not actually an Irish person. But, you know, when the Irish, even they were fleeing a famine, right, which they right. referred to as a, a form of genocide. So that is enormously traumatic. And I'm sure that lives on in them. But they were still fleeing a famine and from their home. We were fleeing. And it's not, you know, which is worse or whatever. Right. It's just about difference. Right. We were fl- fleeing genocide. Which is really what the pogroms were, and even the policies yes. in Germany that yes. Jews were fleeing. These were attempts at genocide, and we were fleeing them after years of this pattern and after thousands of years of exile. And I think that that is incredibly important. And then how, and again, I guess to go back to to the conversation assimilation, how dangerous that is for us because mm. we carry our Jewishness we are bound to it. I, I call it anchors. We have Jewish anchors that ground us and root us into our Jewishness and they have, they are really what have sustained us for thousands of years. And then when you assimilate, you throw it away or you diminish it at the very least, mm-hmm. which has a very devastating impact on us as a, excuse me, as a collective, but also individually because there is right. something within us that ties us to our Jewishness. Right. So it's all very complex and, and, and I think it is unique. And I can say this now, one thing I will say, I, I, my partner and I are leaving Hong Kong mm. on June 19th. So I can say this now, but, you know, after the invasion of Tibet, the Dalai Lama was speaking to Israel and speaking to Jews and saying, how did you maintain your identities mm-hmm. in exile? And then there have been delegations of Tibetan youth who have, some of them I've quoted in the book, who visit Israel and they say, what, what the Jews experienced for 2000 years, we're experiencing now. You know, we're in mm-hmm. exile now. And they want to learn from us. So it's, we do have to be very honest about our experiences and we have to have these difficult conversations, but we also have to kind of, well, as you say, reclaim it, but that's not, it's certainly not easy. Yeah. I think the point that your friend made is really important actually, because I've definitely uh, experienced people of sort of of Italian American heritage, Irish American heritage, use their experience of, you know, changing of white status in the United States to invalidate the Jewish experience of it being different. Uh, but it, it is different and it's different for a lot of reasons, most of which I probably can't properly yeah. articulate. But I think what you're pointing to is is this uniqueness of the Jewish experience. And that's often what I say, like when I'm texting Lauren, I'm aggravated. I'm like, we're just different. We're just different. <laughs> yes. Can you just understand that we're different? That's yeah, <laughs> for sure. It is. Mm-hmm. We are different. And I also think the difficulty is that we're not. It's it's like really crazy teaching the 19th century. and I, Because they were like, oh, you guys are so different. And then now today they're like, oh, you're not different no, no, at all. No, no, you're the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I think one of the things I, because I, I talk about in this second book about, I believe that integrating for Jews is actually inherently hard. Mm-hmm. And not because, mm-hmm. 
there's something wrong with us, but because the world hates us. But I think yeah. the thing that enables us to proceed into the world, and listen, you know, you guys are in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in Hong Kong, I'm a Scottish Jew in Hong Kong. Like we're, a, we're integrated into our respective societies. But the thing that I find, again, really freeing and, and has been healing for me is the acceptance of, of our difference. We are different. Our story is not the same as other communities. And I guess every community has, you know, specificity, but ours is specifically specific. Mm-hmm. And we need to own that. We need to own the specificity of our practice, of our mm. heritage, of our culture, our, of our civilization. And I think, you know, for me, I'm I'm not an observant Jew, actually. Like, I don't keep kosher. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like grapple with it all the time. And I say to my partner, maybe I should keep kosher. And he's not Jewish. So he's like, oh, God, like, how is that <laughs> going to work? Um, but one thing I do, I did start doing a couple of years ago, is I, I wear a kippah every day. Mm-hmm. And that is me choosing to mark myself as Jewish, which historically has been something done to us for kind of nefarious reasons, as we know, especially from the Shoah with the yellow star. But I'm choosing to mark myself as a Jew. I'm choosing to wear my Jewishness like visibly and I'm marking myself as different. And I find that so freeing and so powerful because I'm 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 not letting I'm trying not to let the non-Jewish world assimilate us yeah. forcibly. I'm trying to say, no, we right. are different. And we really are. And I say that to like my friends, <coughs> excuse me, who again try to kind of universalize everything. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, our experience is just different. Right. And it's not mm. more important, it's just not right. the same. It's not a judgment, mm. it's just a factual reality. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, yeah. And I think that like one thing that's important to talk about is the different forms of trauma. Like, and I've thought a lot about this because of the book, because there's so many forms of, well, maybe not so many, but there's several forms of intergenerational trauma. Like, you know, one is just the cultural retelling. So growing up in a house filled with Holocaust books, growing up in a community with Holocaust survivors, knowing, again, as I said, that in living memory, people tried to destroy us. That is one form of trauma that is, you know, I kind of call it, I would call it cultural. But then Mm -hmm. there's epigenetic Mm-hmm. And, and and there's, I guess the jury is out on how far that travels down, but it seems to definitely be within kind of initial generations from the actual trauma. They've seen that right. in the Rwandan experience and the Jewish experience post Shoah. And then there's also the trauma from our, our, um, our experiences today, you know, waking up mm-hmm. and seeing another terrorist attack in Israel, that's traumatic. And I'm not there, so I'm not comparing my level of trauma to the Israelis, but let's talk about their trauma of, you know, being the descendants of Holocaust survivors or people who fled the Farhud or, you know, Ethiopian Jews who were fleeing their experiences in Ethiopia and then the journey in the Sudan. And now they're in the Jewish state and they're still being attacked. They're still not safe from Jew hatred. All of these contribute to our trauma in different ways. And they do. They make it incredibly difficult to process Mm. oh gosh I mean you just said so much I feel like (laughs) I want to address it but at the same time I'm also looking at the time and you know I want to respect your time our time um thank you so much Ben for all of this I think first of all you speak so eloquently when you were talking about um you know resistance and you know just the different ways you were describing the Jewish community Laura and I were like writing things down because we were like (laughs) it just it, it just is so um, poignant, I think. 
Uh, and, you know, we really appreciate, um, all that you've given to this, to this conversation. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. This was, you know, a long awaited episode, a long awaited topic for, um, for our listeners. You know, this was overwhelmingly what people said they wanted to hear an episode on. And, um, it's a massive topic. I feel like I'm saying that a lot lately as Ash and I try to cover, a lot of ground um, with this podcast because this space isn't one that we've seen. We're trying to create something we haven't seen and um, speak about topics that we haven't heard spoken about. Um, and in some ways that presents its own challenge, but you know, we're just, we're really so thankful to everybody who provides us with feedback and everybody who chooses to guest on the podcast because ultimately, um, you know, we're in a lot of ways We're, as I said, we're building something that we haven't heard spoken about before. We're trying to build a space for that. So um, you're a part of forming that today. Our other guests have been a part of forming that. And we just really appreciate um, you joining us on this journey. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I, and I think what you're doing is really important and having these conversations from an empowering perspective is, is and you you mean you you guys are utilizing the framework of Jewish pride you're looking at our experiences with pride and using that as the lens but these are vitally important conversations you know and, and as I said as I was putting sharing this on Instagram I thought wow how kind of like apt this is the conversation mm. we're having today because I know that I there's know. people feeling just absolutely devastated and alone and unable to kind of even comprehend their own experiences right now because it's a bombardment and providing the space even just for people to listen to is I think it gives people permission to to be in their experiences their feelings and it also gives them permission to heal and I think that that sounds like an odd thing to say, give permission to heal. But I do think that's mm-hmm. what Jews need because we have been so beaten down and forced to accept the situation that we've been placed in that even though deep down we might know that it's not acceptable mm. on a kind of conscious level, we find it hard, I think, to fight against it. So the fact that there are people having these conversations and creating these spaces for Jews to heal in a very practical way. And I mean, this is... I've said this in the second book, you know, therapy, we should be offering therapy to Jewish adults as like a, yes. a <laughs> I really believe that we should. And for Jewish kids, we have to work really hard to prevent trauma, that which means we yes. have to be very careful mm-hmm. how we talk about our experiences. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think this is amazing. And this is, I think, you know, when I saw that you were doing this, I was like, oh, can I, can I be on this? And I'm going to say, I, I actually rarely ask to be on things because I'm, oh. I'm very lucky I'm so busy but I really wanted to be on this because I think what you're doing is so important and it's such a vital part of Jewish pride and healing Mm. wow thank you yeah that was a very high compliment and we really um we can see each other right now (laughs) I think I end up saying this to every guest but um you know Ash and I keep a zoom as we conduct these conversations just in case we need to cue each other or something and I'm just react in real time to what you just said. You know, it's very affirming because it's ultimately what um, what we've been trying to set in this. You know, this is only episode 10. It feels like in some ways we've been doing this for much longer. Um, oh. But 
you know, we're scratching the surface of topics that we find very important to approach from a place of pride. And, um, so it's that, and that you chose to, to be a part of it. Well, thank so, you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So before you hop off, can you just let everyone know, you know, where they can find your work, how they can keep up with you if they're interested in doing so? Sure. So on Twitter and Instagram, my handle's at Ben M. Freeman. As I told Ash and Laura, the M is very important because there's hundreds of Ben Freemans, so it has to have <laughs> something that differentiates me. It's a very kind of common Jewish name. Um, yeah. And my first book, Jewish Pride Rebuilding a People, was released last February, so it's available now. And my second book, Jewish Pride Reclaiming Our Story, which is really a deep dive into internalised anti-Jewishness, will be out in October. And I'll be visiting the States for my first in-person tour. The other promotional work I've done, all done from Hong Kong, but I will be in the States. So look out for events near you. Amazing. Awesome. And congrats on the the trilogy. It sounds incredible. That new book, I want to get my hands on it immediately. (laughs) Yes. Same here. Same here. Have a great evening, Ben. Thank you again for joining us. Thank or, you, so you know, much. a great morning. As yes. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's morning for you. So sorry. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Oh, all right. That was awesome, Laura. How are you feeling? Better than when I started, is really? what I will say. You know, I know we both came into this episode today, into this recording, a little rough around the edges, but yeah. it honestly engaging with this space reminds me why this space is so important because I may come into an evening feeling like, am I in the headspace to talk about this? Am I too drained? Am I too this, too that? And it just, it affirms me. These conversations affirm me. So I just hope that that's true for our listeners as well. Thank you for joining us today on Kvetching on the Couch, whether this is your first episode or you're returning. As a reminder, we use this space to talk about difficult subjects, and so we definitely want you to take care of yourself today. And as I said, we hope that this conversation was at the very least validating, maybe enlightening or interesting for those of you listening. It can be a lot of aims, but thank you for being with us. And next week, we'll actually be taking some time to debrief about this conversation, just the two of us. So you can come fetch with us about that on Thursday, April 14th, live at 7 p.m. And as always, episode recordings will be posted on the Colin app and then distributed to Spotify and Apple Podcasts later this evening. You can keep up with us on social media. My handle is at The Healing Happy Cook, and you can find Ash at at Bad Ash Therapy. All information will be provided in the comment section of the episode. Thank you for all the music provided in this episode and the biggest of thank yous to those of you who joined us today. Good night, everyone. Good night.